And a very good evening to you. Welcome to Catholic View on this Wednesday, the 31st of May. Thank you so much for being here with me. I'm Sheila Pires. Coming up in today's broadcast, we'll be taking a look at the South African political scene. And that will be done with Father Smangaliso from the Moral Regeneration Movement. But first, as usual, we always begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Wednesday evening, Pope Francis reflects on the Holy Spirit and hope during general audience. SACBC Justice and Peace Commission not impressed with the ANC-NEC position on state capture inquiry. And Vatican drops plan for papal trip to South Sudan in October. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Continuing his series of Wednesday general audiences devoted to Christian hope, Pope Francis spoke on May 31st about the Holy Spirit and hope. Pope Francis quoted Cardinal Newman, saying that when Christians have this kind of hope, they can act as consolers in the image of the paraclete, advocates, helpers, and bringers of comfort to others. The following is a summary of Pope Francis' catechesis. Dear brothers and sisters, as we prepare to celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, our catechesis on Christian hope now turns to the Holy Spirit and his saving work. St. Paul concludes his letter to the Romans by praying that the God of hope will make us abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As a gift of the Spirit, hope is both an anchor giving us security among, amid the storms of life and a sail driving us forward towards the safe harbor of eternal life. The Spirit bears witness within our hearts to the consoling truth of God's promises and the inheritance that awaits us as his beloved sons and daughters. Filled with this hope, we can become, in the words of Cardinal Newman, consolers in the image of the paraclete, advocates helpers and bringers of comfort to others. The Holy Spirit who brings hope to all creation also inspires us in love and respect for this world in which we live. May this Pentecost find us like Mary and the apostles gathered in prayer and may the gift of the Holy Spirit make us abound in hope. Bishop Abel Gabuza, the chairperson of SACBC Justice and Peace Commission, has said that his commission is not impressed with the ANCNEC position on the judicial inquiry into state capture. 
In the statement, Bishop Gabuza says that in the face of the various reports and revelations that are warning that the country has been hijacked by a patronage network that is linked to the president, the ANCNEC continues to demonstrate that it lacks the collective political will to hold the president to account. The Justice and Peace Commission is of the view that the president can institute the probe immediately if he wants to. It is also of the view that the ANC-NEC can make it happen immediately if it wants to. Bishop Gabuza has called on all people of goodwill in South Africa to stand up and speak out against the sad state of the nation. In other African news, Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta this Wednesday inaugurated a Chinese-built railway, the country's biggest infrastructure project since independence, which is aimed at cementing its role as the gateway to East Africa. Dubbed the Madaraka or Freedom Express, the train can carry up to 1,260 passengers and replaces the so-called Lunatic Express, a railway built more than a century ago by colonial Britain, which was known for lengthy delays and breakdowns. Plans for a trip by Pope Francis to South Sudan have been set aside, apparently because of security concerns. Greg Berker, the director of the Vatican Press Office, disclosed on May 30th that plans for an October papal visit to the troubled African country has been shelved. While plans for the trip might be revived, he said, it would not be for this year. In March, Bishop Ercolano Tombe of Yei, South Sudan, had disclosed that Pope Francis was planning a trip to his country, but he also acknowledged that the plans could change because of security concerns arising from the escalating civil war in the country. South Sudan, which won independence from Sudan in 2011 after years of bloody civil war, has been plagued by fighting between two factions within the new nation. An estimated 700,000 people remain beyond the reach of aid workers and are living in desperate conditions in northeastern Nigeria. The Boko Haram insurgency, which is now in its eighth year, has killed over 20,000 people and caused 1.8 million to flee their homes. According to OCHA, the UN Humanitarian Coordinating Agency, many refugees returning from Cameroon and neighboring countries in recent weeks as a result of the ongoing conflict lack basic necessities. Mihika Acharya reports from UN News. Speaking in Geneva, Edward Callan, humanitarian coordinator in Nigeria, warned of the dire situation in northeast Nigeria. An estimated 700,000 people are expected currently caught up behind the battle lines with Boko Haram. But what we are seeing is that when areas are liberated and when people are coming out, we are seeing very ugly phases of vulnerability, especially among women and children. We are seeing signs of starvation. Some 6.9 million people urgently need life-saving aid across the region where Boko Haram first emerged. And there is a looming threat of famine there. All this amid ongoing access problems because of insecurity as government forces continue to push back Boko Haram insurgents. Mr. Callan added that more than 7,500 men, boys and women have reported sexual violence abuses since the start of the conflict in the last eight years. 
The UN agency also warned that 450,000 children are at risk of dying from diseases linked to severe acute malnutrition if other areas become inaccessible due to flooding in the coming months. And finally, smoking threatens us all and increasingly the planet's poorest communities. UN health experts said on World No Tobacco Day 2017, observed annually on May 31st. In an appeal to more member states to put in place firmer tobacco controls, the World Health Organization, WHO, said that such action could reduce massive environmental damage too. WHO tobacco-free initiative Dr. Vinayak Prasad has more. Tobacco is a threat to development. It threatens us all. It kills people prematurely. It exacerbates poverty, contributes to global hunger, reduces economic productivity, and damages the environment. There's a lot of chemicals and pesticides used for tobacco cultivation. More than 11 million metric tons of wood is used annually for tobacco curing, which leads to deforestation and contributing to carbon dioxide emissions. Tobacco is a crop is known to cause soil erosion. But the problem is even more when we look at tobacco manufacturing, where there are a lot of wastage at the production level, and then the products which get consumed lead to a lot of post-consumer waste, let's say litter. So we can see almost 40% of coastal and urban litter from cigarette butts. So at all levels, there is evidence to show that tobacco growing, tobacco manufacturing and consumption is impacting on the environment in a big way. And much of this evidence is not known outside of uh, the sector. And we are taking the report to create that knowledge and understanding and advocate for more work in this area. And that was a brief look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you once again for joining me this evening. You are listening to Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Coming up next, we bring you our feature as today we take a look at the South African current political scene. Civil society, opposition party, religious leaders, almost everyone has come out to talk about what's happening in South Africa today. As a matter of fact, the SACBC Justice and Peace Commission has today issued a press release concerning the ANC-NEC position on state capture inquiry. Now to talk more about what's been happening in South Africa, such as the issues concerning the national treasury, issues concerning the role of media in public discourse, a radical transformation, coalition governments, you name it. I decided to speak to Father Smangaliso Mkwachwa from the Model Regeneration Movement. First of all, let's look at the uh, uh, ruling party because uh, of its influence, because it is the one that is running the country uh, which was voted in by the majority of the people. What's happening in the African National Congress is that, uh, one, uh, there's complete a, a split uh, between those who support the president and those who are opposed to, uh, to the president. Maybe it's not even so much uh, accurate to say they're opposed to the president, but 
They're totally in disagreement with the manner in which the country has been run. Uh, the way the uh, economy is now really in trouble, taking into account the junk status that uh, we find ourselves in, which most probably will, uh, the, the, the negative effects of which will only become clearer, I think, in the course of time. And that, of course, is the whole issue of, um, you know, regarding the, uh, uh, the, the, the looting uh, that's going on, looting of, of state resources which uh, uh, were meant to promote the welfare, the common good, especially of the majority of poor people, unemployed people, um, and socially de- uh, deprived people. And uh, uh, so there's a lot of unhappiness about that, but also the manner in which the uh, national treasury is, is probably, well, uh, lots of people are under the impression that the, it also to some extent has been uh, captured. Uh, and people are, are, are struggling to see to what extent they can actually uh, protect it because it's there for the common good, um, you know, of all. And then there is the, uh, the lot of tensions regarding the uh, 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 the forthcoming uh, ANC elective conference in December. Well, obviously the uh, uh, prospective candidates are coming forward, and I would imagine that there are a few more who probably have not thrown in the, uh, uh, their head as yet, but they are, they are definitely bound to do so. So all in all, I think the governance uh, is in a little bit of uh, trouble, really a, a, a big trouble. And that's why therefore it was within that context that lots of people are actually saying, can't the uh, current president provide leadership? If you look at the manner in which even the Trapadat Alliance, comprising the ANC, uh, COSATU, and the uh, South African Communist Party, including to a certain extent uh, Sanko, the manner in which they are calling for the president to step down, not only them, all the scandals now that have been uh, that are unraveling, um, which they uh, especially uh, as manifested as contained in the. Uh, report of the South African Council of uh, Churches. All the scandals that uh, have been uh, 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 discovered, and perhaps we can expect more revelations to to come around, most of which will be uh, uh, negative. And therefore, that's why people are saying, how do we proceed? One, the least that we can do is to appoint a judicial commission of inquiry to look into the uh, uh, the facts about the uh, state the state capture, its implications, the key people that are actually involved, and what should be done about such uh, uh, misdemeanors and so on, and the ongoing call for the president to provide leadership and just step aside, step down uh, uh, for now. The man has done a lot of good uh, for the country during the days of the struggle and so on, but also because we're human, uh, sometimes we lose everything that we have done simply because of certain uh, uh, um, incidents of lack of uh, judgment and the lack of uh, uh, ethical leadership. And people then might actually lose even the, uh, uh, the, 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 the honor uh, and the praise that they enjoyed for many years to come. So politically... This is where we are. 
a lot of unhappiness in in, uh, in the country. Uh, civil society, fortunately, is really coming now, coming up and doing what it was supposed to have done as a matter of course. And that is active involvement and participation in the way in which a, a, the country is governed because that has effect on, uh, on, on, on everybody. So young people looking up to us, the oldies, and why are you messing up the country? Uh, do, what do you expect us to inherit when you guys <laughs> live behind such a, a mess? We have a future to look forward to. So mm-hmm. in general, I think that is what's going on. A, a deep felt cry, a deep, a deep call for the president to step aside because mm-hmm. he symbolizes what is going wrong, I think, uh, uh, in the country because he's not the only one. Uh, the fact that the high decision-making body the uh, ANC, uh, the NEC or the ANC, the way, the manner also it has really failed to discharge its responsibility to firm decision either to recall the president or just to find a way of managing this untenable situation in which the country finds itself now. We look at the role of media when it comes to public discourse. Channels have been bringing out dirt on different political leaders or rather on different political parties. You look at your primetime media, for example, they're talking about how the president should step down. Your so-called Gupta channel exposing things such as corruption within the treasury that no one else seems to be talking about. Now, what is the exact role of the media in terms of the political scene in a country like this one. Majority of the media is not talking about all the corruption that has been happening in the Treasury. These are ugly truths that are coming out. What are, what are your thoughts around this when you look at media and how they influence the way citizens think? Well, generally speaking, the media reflects the reality in any situation. So the fact that you have a divided media means that there are uh, lots of divisions in the country, especially among political parties and those who uh, uh, are very influential, who set the agenda, I think, for the, uh, for the country. So the, uh, the new age with the uh, ANN7, clearly they are pro-establishment, they are pro the Gupta family. I mean, they are the project of the, the Gupta family anyway. That has been um, uh, uh, that has been found to have really behave in a way that is uh, against the best interests of the country. That is on the one hand. Uh, but one cannot then say a, the ANN seven by exposing the rot in the treasury. Uh, if at all, of course, it's uh, either telling the whole truth. You cannot therefore say because they, they are a pro-group that they should not expose that. I think it's part of their responsibility, although they are doing so because of promoting a certain agenda. And then on the more critical side, then you have the more, what I want to generally describe as the progressive uh, media, is actually reflecting a, what is uh, wrong in the country, particularly with regard to the uh, uh, what's going on in the uh, uh, national treasury, 
but also looking at the performance, uh, poor performance of the economy uh, uh, in general. And I think it's the responsibility of the media to expose that which is happening. And of course, expect that if uh, certain people um, object to what is being reported because either they feel is untrue or is fake news, as they say these days, you see, and so on, they must also be, I think, be humble enough uh, or be prepared to um, correct that which they have uh, reported wrongfully. Because if they don't, they can actually do a lot of harm, either to private individuals, to their, to their families, to organizations, to companies, and so on. So the question, therefore, of objectivity, uh, well, maybe between inverted commas, because people will say, yes, but I mean, each and every media is a bias. And I'll say yes and no. I mean, yes, in the sense that if the media report uh, things that are factually incorrect, then we have a very serious problem. There are even laws that uh, have to deal with that. But it's also very unethical uh, reporting. But if the media uh, uh, reports something which may make leaders, especially politicians, extremely uncomfortable, to say the least, you cannot really uh, blame the media for doing so, even if they may have, all right, maybe some of them their own uh, uh, agenda as well. But within the fraternity of the media, we've got to accept the fact that there are great patriots. There are people who really genuinely love this country and uh, uh, will report on anything that they truly believe to be doing a lot of harm to the uh, good name of this country, but potentially also something that is uh, detrimental to the general welfare, peace, prosperity uh, of uh, the Republic of South Africa. So that we might take with regard to the uh, media, but we need the media, responsible media, courageous media that must report on what is really uh, happening. And that's why we have the media in any uh, part of the world uh, anyway. But also, as I say, generally speaking, to inform, to entertain us, and uh, to uh, uh, to be the, the watchdog to a certain extent. And as I say, if the media steps out of step, there are uh, laws, there are rules that uh, uh, govern that, and which therefore act as a kind of a deterrent to would-be irresponsible reporters. But now let's talk about radical transformation. We hear so much about radical transformation, hence the reshuffle of government, hence all the, the talks about giving back land to black people. Radical transformation, what exactly does that mean? Very simply for me, radical transformation means as the term says, you know, radix in Latin, meaning roots. It means you actually make changes. Uh, you, you go to the roots of the, the way the institutions have operated in this country. And if you uh, come to the conclusion that certain practices, certain policies have actually grossly disadvantaged the majority of the people and favored only a few. Radical transformation, therefore, means you should uh, completely turn that system around the way it has worked. 
In our country, for example, um, if you look at the, uh, the people who really own the economy, a tiny percentage, the vast, to the detriment of the vast majority of our people. So radical transformation therefore means that you have got to change the, 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 the economy or the way of doing political business in such a way that the majority of the people also benefit from a um, from the economy of the country. That the that the economy is uh, changed in such a way that there are no jobs. More young people uh, have opportunity to find um, employment um, uh, opportunities. That a uh, the, the 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 bulk of the um, if you like the profits from the economy of this country benefits, all right, that won't happen 100%, but benefit the majority of, of, of our people so that the gap between the rich and the poor to some extent is narrowed. It will never be completely uh, equal, but they, that the majority of the people can also feel they have a stake in this country, the way in which the uh, economy is uh, uh, managed. So that's really basically it. And for me, there's a way in which uh, uh, this can also be become something like a bit of rhetoric. Because if you go right back to the uh, uh, Freedom Charter, the Freedom Charter, as a matter of fact, if at all, we had uh, uh, followed it very seriously, and the Constitution is by and large informed by the Freedom Charter. Now, if it all, right from 1994, would have started the process of ensuring that we narrow the gap between the rich and the poor, the young and the old, black and white, and uh, you name them. I think we wouldn't actually be talking about the radical social transformation. Because for me, a... The president, when the president made this kind of declaration, which sounded very dramatic, and I don't, frankly, I don't believe there's anything very dramatic about it, but to some extent it's an admission of failure that um, maybe we did not use the provisions of the Constitution to the most, uh, to advantage um, the majority of the people to the extent that they are actually entitled to. But I suppose they'll say better late than never. Now, if one can just really make a, a, a comment here. For me, you cannot talk about radical social transformation. When you are involved, a, I'm not even talking about individuals, just a general statement. When you are looting the state, when you are actually involved in corruption, when you are doing everything to, I mean, almost to to uh, to sell the country to the highest bidder and so on, it's a contradiction in terms. Because radical social transformation, it means that the country, the wealth of the country, should really be equitably distributed amongst all the people of this country, black, white, yellow, or uh, whatever. So at the moment, it's really... We're talking about trying to uh, correct the artificially uh, uh, imposed imbalances and disadvantages between 
those who have and those who do not have. Now, lastly, uh, Father, let's talk about coalition governments. Is this a thing to go for, especially looking at the current political scene? You look at Nelson Mandela Bay, where there are now conflicts. Um, not so long ago, also, even here in Gauteng, there were conflicts between the DA and the EFF regarding these coalition governments. Does it really work? Well, coalitions have worked and we can learn a lot from other countries um, where a, a coalition governments have been really more or less the norm rather than the exception. However, in South Africa, okay, uh, this is relatively a new ball game. Uh, we still have to learn how to manage it. But we also have a, a, a previous instances, like for instance in the Western Cape, I know that there were uh, places where there was coalition between the, uh, uh, the DA and other uh, smaller parties and so on. But for me, uh, what is most important is what works. If you have a situation where, for example, we have a hung parliament or we have a hung municipality or councils or something like that, it only makes politic- a very good political sense to then say, let's find a mechanism which involves, obviously, compromise. The EFF will come with this uh, radical land reform and so on and so on. And the DA or other uh, parties will probably say, no, 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 that is probably not the best route to take, you see, and so on and so on. However, if we are to work together and to make this experiment a reality, let's compromise on one or two aspects. It's a give and take. A situation. So the way things are going at the moment, for instance, it look to me it looks as if come 2019 uh, and beyond that in 2021 or whatever, you probably see a lot of uh, uh, um councils and uh, and therefore the need to agree to uh, uh, to compromise in certain aspects. Anyway, life. It's about compromises, whether it's in a family situation where people have to work together and they have to do certain things together for a common good, um, and they believe in different systems or methods of, of achieving uh, the ideal objectives, they probably come to the conclusion that, look, on their own and following your system, it's not going to work. So let's agree. Because compromises uh, or uh, um, uh, compromises always, I mean, are time-bound. You don't compromise forever. You probably will agree that for the next uh, two years, uh, let's see if at all we can work together. If it does not work, or if one of the uh, uh, parties involved suddenly gets the majority and can run the municipality or the government alone, so be it. So for me, it's a question of what is in the best interest uh, uh, for the people, you know, of of, of this country. It's true that there are a lot of tensions right now, uh, but sort of these are teething problems, you know, uh, problems as it were, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to find uh, one another and, uh, you know, for the benefit of the majority of the people. Well, thank you so much for your time. Those were all the questions I had for you today. Anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? 
Well, uh, Sheila, just to say that uh, 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 all of us, whether as uh, uh, organs or members of civil society, the media, the uh, uh, the churches, and um, and the professional people, that I think we all have a real serious responsibility to work together to stand up and make our own contribution in order to take this beautiful country uh, forward. Perhaps also just to uh, 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 take advantage of this interview to say that um, the Moral Generation Movement is organizing a fairly high-profile event which is going to be held at Regina Mundi on the 23rd of June to address specifically this horrible uh, 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 disaster that is overtaken as the femicide, uh, the grisly, the cruel way in which women and girls are being killed. It, I mean, it's not the first time it has happened, but the rate at which things are happening now, I'm glad to see that the many people are standing up, and we also then want to make our voices heard, and we would want to uh, invite all sorts of organizations, people, black, white, reach, uh, you name them, to come together and seriously reflect uh, on what is happening around it, but also why it is happening uh, at this point in time, and what it is that we as a people should really do. And the difference between all the marches and protests that have taken place so far is that we want to try as much as possible to ensure that there is an element of permanence in the campaign that we'll be launching. Because I know South Africans from experience that we all get shocked and angry at something that has happened, which we feel really is horrible. But after two or three weeks, oh, it's back to normal. We've forgotten about that. So we're trying to find a mechanism whereby we can uh, keep this issue alive as part of our agenda. And thank you for the opportunity, Sheila, once again. I appreciate it. Well, this has been your Wednesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pierce for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pierce.